this is the Rolling Hills Message Podcast. Hey, I'm so glad that you decided to join us today. We've been in this message series called Difference Maker, looking at the life, the leadership, and the journey that Nehemiah took, a man who was faithful to God, obedient to his calling, and stepped out in faith to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now, I need to give you some inside information. I accidentally deleted the original audio of this message. I know, I'm so sorry. But what I've done is I've re-recorded this message for you. And I hope that God blesses it and uses this to inspire you. I think this is a really cool message as we look at the chapter of Nehemiah. Let's go to week four in our series, Difference Maker. Well, I'm so glad that you decided to join us today. We are continuing continuing in our message series called Difference Maker, where we're looking at the life, the leadership, and the journey that Nehemiah took to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. If you're joining us for the very first time, one, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for giving us a listen, giving us an opportunity to to come into your heart, come into your mind with what we believe is God's Word. Also, if you're just joining us for the first time, I just want to simply say thank you for for taking the faith and the courage and the risk uh, as well as listening to this podcast. Where we are in this message series is what we've seen is we've seen Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer to the king of Babylon, King Artaxerxes, who heard of Jerusalem state and the disgrace that they were in while the walls had been destroyed. The city had been burned, it hit, the people had been exiled, the gates had been completely destroyed, and this left Nehemiah in a state of disgrace, a state that he was not pleased with. He could no longer let it be for what it was. For four months, yes, you heard that right, four months, Nehemiah grieved. He prayed. He fasted. He asked the Lord for favor and in in this endeavor to possibly go back and rebuild the walls. He finally gets the courage and asks the king, that he could take some time off. He goes, and not only does he does he go to the king, but he's in a mournful state. This is a place that you do not want to be. You are not allowed to be sad in front of the king. And what we see is Nehemiah in front of the king and the queen. He's sad. The king asks, what's going on? He finally replies and says, I'm not okay with where Jerusalem sits. And the king, to Nehemiah's surprise and everyone else's surprise, maybe your surprise, he is, he is allowed to go to Jerusalem. He's allowed to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. In that, Nehemiah's faith grows and continues to deepen. And what we see is Nehemiah this says, will you make this your mission? Will you, take the, will you take me and write safe letters of passages? Will you protect me? Will you send me to your forest and get timber so I can rebuild the walls or rebuild the gates of my city. And sure enough, King Artaxerxes blesses his endeavor. Not only does he bless it, but he also sends the cavalry army security to make the journey, uh, the 700 plus mile journey all the way to Jerusalem. And what's amazing is that he arrives, Nehemiah arrives, surveys the city for three days, the, the rubble. There's places where he has to get off his horse just to be able to survey that much more closer. And finally, he rallies around the people and inspires them with this incredible message saying that the king has blessed us to start again, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. We can do this. We can do this. And in the face of all that, opposition shows up. Some people, Sanballat and Tobiah, the Horonite, all these guys come and give Nehemiah and the Israelites, mock them and, and say that this work is in vain. This work is stupid. You guys look 
dumb. And it didn't matter because Nehemiah was so confident in what God was doing. And this is where our journey begins today. In Nehemiah chapter 3, as you as you go there, this is what I want you to I want you to ask yourself this. Have you ever thought that you weren't talented enough, maybe gifted enough or experienced enough or even knowledgeable enough to bring about real and lasting change? See, I think oftentimes we see ourselves this way. And I, I know I do at times. And maybe it's because we think of people who are difference makers and our minds rush to the extraordinary. And we think of maybe like a Thomas Jefferson who penned the Declaration of Independence and set into motion maybe the greatest revolution in history. Uh, I think of Mother Teresa who started orphanages and became a spokesperson for those living in undesirable and harsh circumstances around this world. I think of Martin Luther King Jr. who gave his life in the pursuit of calling our country to racial equality. If you're a sportsman uh, or a sportswoman, I should say, maybe you can you think of Michael Jordan, who changed how basketball was played, or Jackie Robinson, who changed the game of baseball. If you're familiar with the church history, I think of Jonathan Edwards with the Great Revival, or the Great Awakening Revival that happened here in the, in the late 1700s. Uh, Martin Luther, who, who, who changed and broke away from the Catholic Church. I think of Billy Graham and many other church leaders who became the face of religious reform and transformation of the church that we see today. Uh, maybe you're familiar with the New Testament, and you think of Peter and Paul, who planted and established churches all over the known world shortly after Jesus ascended into heaven. Now, if you're anything like me, and I think you are, when you think of great difference makers around the world throughout history, my mind already puts them in a category other than myself, almost like they're superhuman, or, and maybe I'm not an expert in my field, and I begin, to, I begin to convince myself that I'm not good enough or I will never be like them. I'm just normal. I'm average. Nothing special. They are. I'm not. And see, I, I think sometimes we how we see ourselves needs to be changed. Um, and when we see something that can't remain the same, something has broken our heart, oftentimes God will move our heart to do something about it and get involved. But I think most of the time when we think about doing something of significance, we look at ourselves, we look at our what we're not capable of, our inabilities and our weaknesses, and we decide to just wait Maybe we just don't do anything, but maybe we're waiting for someone more qualified to come along and to help us with this journey. See, I think oftentimes we we look at a problem and we feel as if nothing is valuable, that we have nothing to val- that's valuable to contribute. And so we settle for what I think is worse, doing nothing at all. Now, I want you to believe I want you to know this because I truly believe this. This is a tactic that the devil uses to cripple you and I uh, when we are set out to make any effort for godly change across our world. And we see this also throughout history. See, this is a lie that the enemy uh, causes us to, uh, which this is a lie from the enemy that causes us to underestimate our value and our worth and confuse our purpose in this world. See, now, can you imagine for a second, and maybe for just for one moment, what if none of us thought this way? What if we all understood who we were in Christ? We understood our identity. What if we understood how much God loves us and how much he values us and and that he's actually given us a purpose to live here on this earth as well as the power that raised Christ from the grave is the same power that can exist within ourselves. What if we believe this and we could, see, I believe if we believe this, we could accomplish so much more that seems impossible right now. See, I think this is what it would look like. 
I believe that we would see revival and awakening like the world has never experienced before. See, I believe that if all of us joined together and lived at our purpose that God has given, given us, and we lived this out in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our, in this city, in our state, with tenacity and passion, knowing something is better available, believing through that Jesus and we are more than capable, I believe that we see this revival. I believe that we'll see the efforts of God's people confidently living out their purpose with a plan. See, I think we do this through the love of Christ when we eliminate the racial divide that's happening within our country. I think we put an end to kids in foster care sleeping in office floors. I believe that we we could adopt the 231 children that are currently on the Adopt Kansas website, kids like Elisha and Timothy and Isabella and Fernanda and Jaden. See, I believe that we could empower the poor and we could rescue people out of addiction. I believe that we could reduce the demand for pornography as well as eradicate human trafficking. See, I believe that if we all lived with the right understanding of who we are in Christ, and what he has done for us, we could do so much more than we could even fathom in this moment. See, I think we could take the gospel to the 7,000 people groups in this world who've never heard the good news of Jesus. Just a fun fact for you, there is an estimated over 350,000 congregations within the U.S. I definitely believe of those 350 congregations, we could find some way to reach that 7,000 people groups. So what's stopping us, church? Because I believe that we could transform Shawnee County by bringing heaven to earth with the love of Jesus Christ. I, I believe this wholeheartedly with every ounce of my being. The question is, what is holding me back? If it's not Satan and it's not sin and it's not resources, because I believe God has already conquered our sin through Jesus. He has defeated death through the resurrection of Jesus, and he has given us unlimited power and resources through the Holy Spirit. So what's holding us back? I believe that it's us, you and me. Because unfortunately, oftentimes, we don't believe it can really happen. We get so overwhelmed by the size of the task and our inability that we choose to do nothing at all uh, amid, and we decide that we cannot participate in the mission of God because of our overwhelming feeling of the task. So I think oftentimes we underestimate our value and our purpose and what God is calling us to do. We are too busy looking at ourselves instead of looking at Jesus. And it keeps us from accomplishing amazing and incredible feats in the name of Jesus. But church, it doesn't have to be this way. And as I've said every week in this message series, I believe that God has created you and me, all of us, to be difference makers. He wants you to play a part in his mission to remove the darkness of his of, uh, in this world and restore people into a relationship with him. I truly believe that in all my heart. See, and that's where our message starts today. What we're going to do today is a little bit different. I'm not going to go through the entire chapter like we did on Sunday, but what we want to do is I want us to point out a couple things that we're going to see here in Nehemiah chapter 3. What we've seen is that, one, Nehemiah, who's writing this, does not put his name in all in chapter 3. Now, and technically in verse 16, we do see another guy named Nehemiah, but he's not the leader that we've been discussing. What we also, what this is important for us to point out, because we often think of difference makers, world changers, kingdom shakers. We think of people as, uh, as leaders of these who are known. But Nehemiah might be the over, most overlooked chapter in the entire book because what it is is an entire list of people 
who helped participate in making the walls of Jerusalem be, be built again. See, I believe everyone has a specific ability to participate, meaning you and I have, have a specific role to fulfill, a significant role, I, w- I would add. In order to make a significant difference in the world, we must realize that each one of us has a part to play in this mission. See, we're all needed. We, we all have something to offer. We all have value and meaning and purpose. Every And until we realize this individually and collectively, church, we still have to make a difference. Yes, but if we all understand our value and the value of one another working in unity, then I believe that we can change and transform the world rapidly and with great and amazing force. All because our God is so big. See, when we understand our purpose and our value, we work together. And what we're going to see today is in this chapter, and if you're like me, most of the time we skip over lists or we skim over lists within the Bible because of the odd names. And I, I, I'm not going to bore you with trying to pronounce all of them today. I did that. I tried to do that on Sunday. Um, I do not speak Hebrew. I do not speak Greek. But what I'm going to do today is hopefully show you a couple uh, significant pieces within chapter 3 that I think will still be able to translate the message that we're, where we had on Sunday as well, as well as what as you're listening to right now. And so if you've got your Bibles or you're just listening along the way, here's what I want, you, here's what I want, to, want to show you. You see, we see in verse 1, it says, Elishab, that, See, I'm telling you, I'm not going to get these right, but the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. Immediately, what we see is that there is this massive charge of people who are willing to get into their, get their hands dirty. But what I find interesting is that Nehemiah takes the time to write the first people to get their hands dirty. And who were they? They were high priests. They went to work on the sheep gate, which this is incredible for us to see because this was something these people didn't have to do this. Most priests were above this type of work. But what we see later is they concentrated it and they set its doors and they, as far as the Tower of the Hundred and as far as the Tower of Fennel. And you see, what we see then later is next to him, men of Jericho, next to him, Zakir, the son of Emery, built. The sons of Hassaniah had built the fish gate and laid the beams and set its doors and its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hazak, or Hakas. See, I'm telling you, I'm not going to get these right. And next to Meshalem, the son of Barakiah, son of Meshazelabub, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Benai, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites, this is important, repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. So now as we wrestle through and try to get these names out for you, I told you I wasn't going to do it, but here I am doing it because I think this is important. The first five verses, uh, this shows us a couple things that I want, us to, I want us to see that you're going to see trend throughout the rest of this chapter. And what that is, is that one, what we see is that one, I want to point out in the end of verse five, is this is the nobles, uh, the Tekoite nobles wouldn't stoop to serve their Lord, meaning they didn't want to get their hands dirty. They could have been like the high priests and got their hands dirty, but they decided not to. I don't know about you, but I, I think of maybe a class project, and maybe it was a work project for you. It was somebody on the team that did not contribute much. What's fascinating to me is that Nehemiah decided to take the time to point them out to say, all these people did work, except for the Tekoites. So if there's anything I can say, anything important to you today, don't be a Tekoite. 
The Lord wants your hands to get dirty for his kingdom, for his mission. And what we want to see happen is God moving through your life. And the only way that we can see that is when we allow God to move us physically. So moral of the story, don't be a techoite. Uh, what we see later on is we begin to start seeing people begin to rebuild certain parts of the wall. We see the, these are just leaders, but we also see just normal, regular people. See, we can get into great detail, and he, he continues to record this for us throughout the chapter. This is no one was exempt. This, see, this was a team effort. Everyone was playing their part, even the rulers. Church, we all have to understand that no matter our position, our education, our gender, our experience, we all have a part to play in the Lord's work, and we all need to pitch in And if we all want to make a difference in this world. Uh, what I find fascinating is a little bit further. It says, next to him, Shalem, the son of Halahesh, or Halahesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. He and his da- daughters. Now, I want to point out on this, because this, this is really cool for us to understand. This, see, serving the Lord has always been and will always be a family affair. See, it doesn't just have to be just the mom and the dad to do something. The adults need to go over and do something for the Lord. No, it teaches our children obedience to God and shows them the power of serving, and it molds them into people that God desires them to be. So let's not forget to mention that the effect that the little youth can have on a situation, their energy, their perspective, is amazing. It's God-given. See, I I love that, that I can say this now, later in life, but my mom cleaned the church growing up. And she drug us along with her. And I say drug because we didn't want to clean. We had to do cleaning at the house. Why would we want to go to the church and clean? Well, my roles were emptying out the trash, cleaning the windows, cleaning the men's bathroom, vacuuming. Those were my roles that I would play within the church. Now, fast forward, those are the same roles that I play in my house. Now, I'm not saying that my mom set me up for a future in my house and in my marriage. What I'm saying is that she gave me the heart to begin to serve wherever I was at. My dad was the same way. That My dad would take me to go meet with guys, or he would take me. Uh, I remember going to a couple hospital visits of friends. Now, dad wasn't a pastor at this time, but it allowed me to get involved in an, a life of service. And see, this is why, for me, it is important, and I, will, I have and I will continue to bring my daughters along with me for ministry opportunities, whether that's going to the hospital, whether that's us stopping and praying for somebody when we get the news of something sad or tragic or someone's sick, I want my daughters to understand that we go to the Lord in all circumstances. We will always, as a family, and I say we will always because, and I'm saying this more for me than probably for you, I, as a dad, need to raise my children up in the ways of the Lord. Because church, our children are not the future church. They are the church. That's what I love when Jesus says, let the children come to me. The adults wanted to keep them away, and so Jesus says, no, it's, it's important that they come to me. And he later on says that, that he calls us for adults to have faith like a child. We should be looking more at our children in their faith as we grow and disciple and train them up in the ways of the Lord. Uh, maybe for you, it's finding a way to serve with your kids. Well, maybe you can't go out and build the house in Mexico, but what you can do is you can serve within your church. Maybe join their host team, or you maybe join a, a team where you can be a part of, and you can serve together. 
See, I, I love it that in, in Wichita, when we were there, we had a guy who would bring his two daughters and bring them along to serve. Uh, we had parents also strapping their kids in, wearing them as they served. We, church, can do this. Let's continue to build the kingdom up and showing our kids how to love and serve like Jesus. Now, so if we continue to go back to this list, what we see is we see uh, people rebuilding the valley gate and the dung gate, and what we see is them setting them, them doors, and later on, we, we see this phrase over and over being used. It's called next to. I'm reading out the ESV version today on this, and what we see throughout the rest of the chapter is that this phrase, next to. What I want to point out is that this is far more than a list of names. Church, this is evidence that far more is accomplished when we all contribute and work together in unity. That's what I love about this picture is that they're all building this wall together. Side by side, next to, next to, next to, 15 times to be exact. This was a unified team effort. See, everyone was working right next to each other. This, this is how kingdom work is accomplished. All of us, hand in hand, working side by side. And it always works better, especially doing hard work when you're working along somebody else. See, there, there's camaraderie, there's encouragement, there's teamwork that gets the job done faster. And that's why we worship together. That's why we serve together while we study scripture together. Because, church, if there's anything I can point out today, is that life is better together. It's living in community. God, see, God designs us to be in relationship with Him as well as with others. And this is extremely important for us to understand, as well as especially true when we're doing His work. Also, what I wanted to point out is that building, there was no one responsible for building just the entire wall. Everyone was doing their part. And the other thing that I want to point out is that as you read chapter 3, no one is listed as a tradesman or as a builder. Like, this is the profession. We're told that they're rulers and goldsmiths and perfumers and priests and servants and the keeper of the gate, merchants, and everyday people just building the wall. There's absolutely no builders mentioned in the building of this wall. Now, what I, what I want to point out about this is that because I believe that oftentimes we believe that we're not qualified enough or we're experienced in a certain area in order for us to undertake the work that God has put before us. Sometimes we think that we don't have to, we don't have what it takes to make an impact or to be a difference maker. And I, I want us to, to say that no longer Will we be ones who say, I don't have the ability to do that? See, I think when we think of this, we think of a hundred other people who are more qualified than we are. They have greater talents. They're more special. They've, they're, they're, their disposition is even better. See, what I want us to write and remember today is this. If we underestimate our value and our purpose, we miss the opportunity to step into our destiny. Let me say that again, because I think this is really important for you to understand today. If we underestimate our value and our purpose, we miss the opportunity to step into our destiny. Some of us, I believe, are passionate about doing God's work, but look at ourselves and say to ourselves that we don't have enough or what it takes, or we're not talented enough, or we're lacking in some shape or form. Church, hear me, say, hear me when I say this. The greatest ability for the kingdom of God is your availability. Let me say that again. The greatest ability for the kingdom of God is your availability. See, God, had, God has all the ability in this world. He can do anything that he desires through whoever he desires. 
See, if we go through the pages of Scripture, almost every difference maker that you'll read about is not the smartest, the strongest, the wisest, most talented. Actually, it's quite the opposite. They're all simply made themselves available to do the work that God has asked them to do. So church, we have to quit thinking about what we are not, and we need to start thinking about who we are. You do not do you have a heart that is ready and willing to be a difference in the world that you live in? Are you ready to be obedient to what God is calling you to do? Are, are you, do you have the space and the availability within your schedule to be a difference maker? See, I think that there's everyday individuals out there, uh, merchants and priests and servants and rulers and goldsmiths and perfumers. Uh, and for every reason, we have an opportunity to not participate. But what we see in this book, in this chapter, is everyday normal people doing other things, professionally speaking, doing the work that God put before them. So instead of making ourselves unavailable by our, our inabilities and our excuses that the enemy is already lying to us about, instead we need to make ourselves available and see what God wants to do and accomplish through us, through our availability. And what God did through the Israelites was miraculous. Church, I promise you that he will do the same when we make ourselves available to do his work. See, everyone has a part to play. I also have to point out that six times we were told that they built the opposite of their house or beside their house. Nehemiah made this mission personal. The part of the wall that they were rebuilding was the part that they were going to give them protection to give them personally their safety. If built poorly, it was going to affect their own lives. But instead, or besides what we know is that their, their neighborhood could now be better because of this wall. See, when it comes to being a difference maker, there are some people who just want to cross, to go across the world, and that's just fine. But before we're ever called to go across the world and to serve, we must be obedient to where we are. See, God wants you to be a difference maker right where you are. So you might be a stay-at-home mom. God wants you to be a difference maker to your children. You might work in a business and have an office or work in a cubicle. See, God wants you to be a difference maker right where you are. You might be a plumber, an electrician, a trash truck driver. You, God wants to use you right where you are. See, there's going to be others out there who are going to say that, I never want to do that. I, 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 if in order for me to serve God, I have to go here. I have to go to Timbuktu. I have to go to Mexico. I have to go somewhere. What God is calling us to do is to be the difference maker in the world that we live in. Sure, some of you right now might be being called to Kenya. Some of you might be being called to Poland. Some of you might be called to the Philippines or Laos. That's awesome. Go do that. But the majority of us, are probably listening to this podcast on our on our phones, in the car, driving somewhere. Maybe you're driving to work right now. God wants you to be a difference maker right where you are. See, the church, see, the mission of God, church, is always personal. There's no one exempt from the work of Christ. And if there's anything I can encourage you in, it's time to get your hands dirty. So, so let me just conclude with this. See, I once again, I truly believe that everyone has a part to play in the kingdom of God. See, God wants to do his work in and through you. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 
For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. You and I are different members of the body. But when you bring us all together, we complete the body of Christ in the world today. So we all have a we all have a part to play. And when we're unified in Christ and in his spirit, absolutely nothing can stop us. So let me just leave you with this. Number one, the time to build is, the, is now. The walls have been broken down too long. Sin and evil has had its way. Things don't have to remain the same. We don't, we're not going to settle for, for the status quo anymore. We're going to long for what could be because that's what God is doing in and through us. Jesus Christ has come. He's died for our sin. He's died for the sins of this world. He's rose from the grave in all the power of God, and now has filled us with his Holy Spirit and has given us the life-changing commands to go and bring heaven down to earth. So let's get to work. Number two, God wants you to be a kingdom builder. Your life has purpose, meaning, and value. You are loved by God, and he desires you to join him in his work in restoring people through God, through the good news of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what your experience level is, your education, your profession. God wants you right now, right where you are, to bring this God-sized difference to this world. So remember, the greatest ability in the kingdom of God is your availability. So you make yourself available to do his work. And lastly, number three, more is accomplished together. We are all part of God's body. Unity is essential to success. And we must stand by one another to care for one another, to, to spur on one another, to encourage, to stir, to, to, to challenge one another. So let's make a difference together. See, kingdom building is the best, most rewarding, life-giving work that you will ever be a part of. So let's go build. Once again, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. This message series has been encouraging us to live as difference makers where we are. What's encouraging about today is what we heard is that it takes more than just one person to make a difference. It takes all of us. And I truly believe that you are a difference maker. You may not believe it yet. That's okay. But I do. And I know God does. God has a deep desire for you to make a difference in the world that you live in. We'd love to support you in any way that we can. So go ahead and reach out. Shoot me an email. Matt at rhcttopeka.org. Shoot me an email. I'd love, to, I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to share your story love to know more of what God is doing in and through you. If you'd like more information about our church or our podcast, go to rhcttopeka.org. There you can find out all the information, who we are, where we're located, our service times, all that. I truly believe that God is working and moving in your life. And my hope is that you begin to believe that you were created to make a difference. And until next time, be blessed.